Well, good morning, church. Well, good morning again, I guess I should say. I already said good morning once this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Josiah. I'm the student minister here. I'm not the primary uh, preacher. Um, Eric is away this weekend. They've got uh, some sort of family thing out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas. And so uh, I'm glad to be able to fill in with for him this morning. If you got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We are uh, in week three of our life and liberty study here in 1 Corinthians. The last two weeks, uh, they've, been, they've been rather uh, others-focused as we have considered uh, the call to give up not only our freedoms, this was three weeks ago, we considered the call to not only give up our freedoms, but to also give up our liberties or give up our rights. Um, this we talked about last week. All to give these up for the sake of reaching others with the gospel. All for the sake so that others might hear the gospel. And where we're going to pick up today in chapter 10, in chapter 9, Paul has just ended by calling the Corinthians to run the race that they have been called to run. And not to just run it, but to run it well. He says at the end of chapter 9, lest they be disqualified. And in this talk of disqualification, Paul turns his attention from living our calling out for the sake of others to living our call out for our own sake, that we might not be disqualified. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, I find it interesting, when Eric leaves, he always gives me the, the difficult ones, right? So last time I was here, we had to talk about singleness. Um, this, this morning, it's going to seem up front a little kind of depressing because we're talking about disqualification. Right? None of us like the idea of disqualification because usually when we talk about disqualification, it usually has negative connotations in our lives. I was trying to think of an example of it in my life. Uh, the only problem I ran into was I never really played sports growing up. And that's usually what we think of when we think of disqualification. I mean, I played upwards, but nobody gets disqualified in upwards, right? Um, but I was thinking about disqualification uh, just this morning, and I was reminded of the snowpocalypse of 2021 in Texas. And so I was in Texas up until just this last year. And I remember the church I was serving in, we had uh, lost power, uh, everywhere was frozen, pipes busted, and we had water just pouring into the back of our sanctuary, uh, into the back of our worship center. So we couldn't meet in the worship center. And I remember this all happened like on a like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and so like the rest of the week we're trying to figure out what's going on, and we're obviously not going to be able to meet in the church that Sunday because, I mean, it's all torn apart, and so I remember we are um, getting ready to have a work day at the church on Saturday, and we we're going to live stream on Sunday because we couldn't meet in the building, it just wasn't ready, so we we're just going to live stream on Sunday, and so I remember telling my pastor, hey, I've got a great idea, why don't... Why don't we um, have our work day on Saturday, and then after the work day, we just have the whole praise team, and you, you know, get cleaned up, and we record, we pre-record Sunday service. So everybody's going to already be up here on Saturday. That way on Sunday, everybody can be at home actually resting because it's long work day Saturday. Like, hey, that's a great idea, Josiah. Like, you know, every now and again, I have these great ideas. And so we, we do all this work. 
the praise team goes home for like an hour, gets themselves cleaned up, sound team gets there, they come back to the church, we record the service. We do everything. We're, we're back there mixing the audio. We're back there um, recording them. They're all dressed up, ready to go for Sunday. They're leading worship. Pastor gets up. He preaches his sermon. Everything goes fantastically. They're like, Josiah, this is a great idea. I'm like, yeah, right? And they all go home, and I'm getting ready to upload this live stream. And you know what I realized? I forgot to hit record on the audio. And so we have this video file, and they've just done this hour-long service, but we have no audio. Now, it would have been funny to have posted that and seen how many people the next day would have said, Pastor, good word on Sunday, right? <laughs> but all this work went into it. We did all these things. We lined everything up right. We prepared. We executed but we failed. I failed in one simple area. I forgot to hit the little red button that said record on the audio. And you know what that did? That completely disqualified that entire live stream. And so you know what the worship team and the pastor got to do on Sunday morning? They got to come up to the church and live stream our service. They were so gracious. They were so loving. They were so kind about it. But here's the reality. We don't really like to talk about disqualification because usually that means we have failed somewhere. And what we're going to find this morning is this. Paul is wanting us to consider this idea of disqualification. What does it mean to be disqualified? And He's wanting the Corinthians and he's wanting us to see some realities about disqualification. And if I had a big idea for this morning, this is what the big idea would be. It would be this. Don't be disqualified from the calling God has for you by replacing God with other purposes, possessions, or people. Don't be disqualified from the calling that God has for you by replacing God with other purposes, possessions, or people. And we're going to see really two main ideas this morning. The first main idea we're going to see is the truth about disqualification. We're going to see that here in the first 13 verses of chapter 10. And then we're going to see this call that Paul gives us to flee idolatry. And we're going to see that in 14 through 22. So let's start uh, here in verse 1 and let's talk about the truth about disqualification. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and following. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. It says, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, it says, for they were overthrown. Some translations said, for their bodies were left in the wilderness. It says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. 
says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Paul begins his discussion of the truth about disqualification by pointing to the example of the Israelite people. If we look in our scriptures, the Old Testament we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, it follows the story of the Israelite people who'd been set apart as the people of God. And as Paul says, there's some things you need to understand about disqualification. Paul says, so we're going to look at the example of the Israelite people. And here's the first truth we need to recognize about disqualification, church. The first truth we need to recognize about disqualification is this. Disqualification is real. We need to recognize disqualification is not real. Paul is not, like some here, like telling them some sort of boogeyman story or something like that. He's telling them disqualification is real. Look at this. In the first handful of verses, verses 1 through 5, Paul tells us about the people of Israel. He says, the people of Israel are an example to us. And here's the reality. The people of, of Israel, they were God's people. He says, they passed through the cloud and the sea. He talks about in Exodus, when he's talking about in Exodus 14, when the Israelite people have been freed from Egypt, and they're leaving Egypt. There's this great exodus, and you know what Egypt does? Pharaoh decides, no, we're going to chase Israel. And, and Pharaoh chases them down to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh says, we're going to slaughter Israel. We're literally going to destroy this people group. And what happens in exodus, exodus chapter 14, if we know our Bible stories very well, you know, Moses stretches his uh, rod out over the sea, and what happens? The sea parts. And the Israelites walks through on dry land, the Pharaoh and his Egyptian army follow them into the water, and the waters crash down on them, and the Israelite people are saved, and the Egyptians are destroyed. And oftentimes in the New Testament, we see this as a picture of our baptism. We see this as a picture of Israel's baptism, declaring them as the people of God. Okay, in, in the church today, we talk about baptism where we are, when we have confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it says we are baptized with him, we are buried with him in death, when we go under the water, and we are raised to walk in newness and life. This is exactly what's happening here for the people of Israel, because they are literally going into the sea. This is, they're being chased by death itself, a world empire, the, the most powerful empire in the world, chasing them into the sea. And you know what happens? They come out on the other side, alive and victorious. And their demise, what was going to kill them, is beaten. And Paul says, listen to this about the people of Israel. They were God's people. We need to recognize this. Like God had saved these people. Not only had he saved these people, God sustained these people. He tells them in verses 3 through 4 when he talks about the manna from heaven in Exodus chapter 16. So they are saved, they're rescued, they're walking through the wilderness. And you know the first thing the Israelites do? They go... Moses, we don't have anything to eat. Why did God drag us out into this wilderness just for us to starve to death? It would be better if we just stayed in Egypt as slaves. We at least would have been able to eat. And you know what God does in Exodus chapter 16? He sends bread from heaven. Right? They, don't, they have no idea what this is. Literally, manna means like, what is this? 
right? He sends bread from heaven to provide for them. He says he provides water from the rock in Exodus chapter 17. So they've got the bread from heaven. They'd even been given quail from heaven. And then they go, we don't have any water. What are we going to do? We're going to die of thirst out here. What are you doing? Why is this God abandoning us? You know what God does? God gives them water from a rock. Moses literally hits a rock with a staff and water comes pouring out of it. So God had saved these people. God had sustained these people. But notice this. God also disqualified this people. He says in verse 5, he says, Yet God was still not pleased with them. And he overthrew them in the wilderness. If we follow the history of the people of Israel, you know what we find out? We find out even though they belonged to God, they were saved by God, they were sustained by God, they were also disqualified by God because God told this generation of Israelites, hey, you have seen all the greatness, all the goodness, all the power I have, yet you have still disqualified yourself through the lives you've lived. And because of that, none of you will enter the promised land I'm going to give to you, save for Joshua and Caleb. And the people of Israel wander the wilderness for 40 years until all of them die. And it is in the next generation, their children, that are able to enter the promised land. But we see this. God saved these people. God sustained these people. But God still disqualified this people. God proved his love, his faithfulness, and saving power to them time and time again. And though they belonged to him, though they were set apart by him, they were sustained by him. They were still disqualified. But notice this about this disqualification. This doesn't mean they stopped becoming the people of Israel. God still continued to prove his faithfulness to them, but they were disqualified from certain blessings that God had for them. Specifically, the blessing of getting to enter into the promised land. So we need to recognize this. Disqualification is real. We see this example in the people of Israel. The second thing we need to recognize is this. Disqualification, church, it's easy to achieve. It's easy for us to achieve disqualification. Here Paul gives them examples, multiple examples of how the Israelites disqualify themselves. He tells them they fell into idolatry in verses 6 through 7. If we were to look at Exodus 32, Moses has gone up the mountain He's been up there a long time. A cloud has descended over the mountain. God's giving Moses the Ten Commandments. Okay, so literally Moses is up on this mountain hearing from God. And you know what the people do? They get restless. They say, Aaron, who's Moses' right-hand man, right, his brother, they say, where's Moses gone to? They said, he's been up on this mountain for too long. He's probably dead. So you know what they say? They say, give us an idol. Give us a God who we can worship. You know what Aaron does? Aaron, he goes, okay, give me all your gold, give me your earrings, your necklaces. He melts it all down and he makes this big, nice, fancy, golden calf. He makes for them a God just like the rest of the gods of all the people around them. And it tells us that they celebrated. It says they engaged in the worship of this God. So they were disqualified because they fell into idolatry. They fell into sexual sin. It says in verse 8, if 
we were to look at Numbers 25, we'd see the story, and here's what's happened. The people of Israel, they were led into idolatry by their neighboring nation who drew them away from God through the cult prostitutes of their religion. So Israel is wandering in the wilderness. They've settled in this area, and the people around them are like, the people of Israel are way too powerful for us. We know what their God's accomplished for them. We know how he's brought Egypt to his knees. They're like, there's no way we can beat Israel. So you know what they said? Well, let's do this. Let's assimilate the people of Israel. Say, let's draw them away. And they drew them into marrying in with them and, and practicing their worship and their religion with them. They knew they could not defeat Israel's God, but they knew they could cause Israel to abandon their God in pursuit of sexual desires. It's really interesting in Moses 20, I mean, in Numbers 25, like literally, they have abandoned God after this other people and their gods and, and worship of their other gods. And Moses is literally, this is how bad it is. Moses is sitting there telling them, hey, you guys are screwed up. You guys are jacked up. We need to get everybody who has engaged with this other people who have abandoned our God for this other people. And we need to bring them all together because we need to separate them from our ranks. And literally as he is doing that, some homeboy comes walking by him with sparkles going to his tent to have a good time. And this guy, Phineas, who's a Levite, he's like, bro, are you serious right now? Numbers 25 tells us, and so you know what he did? He takes the spear, follows him in, and kills the dude. Right? Like, I don't know about you guys. I think sometimes we act like the Old Testament's boring, but, I mean, it is like grade A stuff, Right? But here's the reality. They, they so easily were distracted. They were so easily brought off into other sin. They were disqualified because they put God to the test. In Numbers 21, we find the story of the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And here the people of Israel, they are accusing God of not caring for them. This is literally on the tail end of God working a great victory for them against the neighboring people who should have destroyed them. They have just won victory in battle, and they are abandoning God because they say, God, you don't really care about us. God, you don't really take care of us. And we have the story of the bronze serpent. And then he says the other way that they were disqualified was they grumbled against God. In Numbers 16, if we were to look there, we would see what's called the rebellion of Korah. And we have this people amongst the group of Israel, this guy named Korah, who says, hey, Moses, Aaron, you guys aren't that important. You guys aren't that great. We can worship God how we want to. We can be priests to God. We can come before God. And you know what God says? It's not how that works. He says, you don't get to decide the ways in which you worship me. He says, there is a prescribed way for what right worship before God looks like. And in Numbers 16, you know what we find? We find God literally opening up the ground beneath them and swallowing up the uh, Korah and those who followed him. And we might read this and we might think a couple things. First, we might think, man, God's kind of harsh. Second thing we might think is, man, these people of Israel are pretty jacked up. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I have this tendency to think, like, if I had seen a God literally part a sea for me, if I had said, I don't have anything to eat, and literally God makes bread rain from heaven. If I said, I have nothing to drink, and God literally says, hey, here's water from a rock. 
Like, why in the world would I abandon God like the people of Israel? They are so stupid. How could they do that? But how often, church, is that really us? I mean, in reality, how often do we run after other things? How often are we drawn away through wrong desires? How often, church, how often does God bring victory in our life and we turn right around and forget him? How often do we live like we can worship God however and whenever we want? Here's the reality. Disqualification is easy to achieve. The Israelites prove it, but if we were really honest with our lives, usually we prove it too. But here's the third thing about disqualification that Paul wants us to see. That's this. Disqualification, church, it does not have to be our story. Disqualification does not have to be your story because when we look at verses 12 through 13, it says this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. It says this, But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, disqualification does not have to be our story. And he gives us instruction for how that can be. He says, first, be humble. The Israelite people, they had been set apart as the people of God. They had witnessed the saving power. They had seen him come through and providing for them time and time again. Yet they still became disqualified. There are many of us in this room who have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. There are many of us who have seen God come through in ways we would have never imagined. I grew up one of 12 kids. My dad, the pastor of worship at the church I grew up in. My mom, she was a stay-at-home mom. Like, let me tell you something. We grew up, and like, I can't tell you how many times we were like, I don't know how we're going to pay for this, or I don't know how this is going to work. Or I, I still don't know how my parents made it work. And if you ask them, you'd say, well, we didn't make it work. God made it work. Because every time they would just faithfully bring it to God and God would provide. How many times have we seen God provide in the lives of others? How many times have you seen God provided in your life? Don't allow that to puff you up with pride thinking, I'm just some super Christian person that God just wants to give all these blessings to. We shouldn't let that puff us up with pride. Rather, we should recognize the goodness of this God. We should recognize the love of this God. We should worship this God. He says, so be humble. He says, have perspective. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Paul reminds his readers that even though he's giving examples from centuries ago for the first Corinthians, or for the Corinthians, sin is still the same. And maybe they're reading this thinking, the Israelites, they're centuries ago. They, the things they dealt with, I've got to deal with way worse things than what they had to deal with. And Paul's saying, no, sin is still the same. And we might be reading this and go, the Corinthians, that's centuries ago. The things they had to deal with are nothing like the things we have to deal with. And Paul says, no, sin is still the same. He says, and you need to have the right perspective about it. No temptation that is overtaking you is something that is not common to man. 
Perspective does some interesting things for us. Here's what it does for us. It, it helps us keep from giving ourselves pity parties, and it gives us hope. Here's what I mean by this. Uh, this last week I was uh, with Eric. We had a, uh, a, a uh, meeting thing we were going to on Tuesday morning. And I was supposed to be at his house at 8 o'clock, and I was running a little late. I pulled in. It was only like 10 minutes late, but I was late, right? And so I, I pull up into his driveway, and I hop into his car because we've got to go to OBU for this thing we're going to. And I say, hey, man, sorry I'm late. And he says, he said, oh, it's fine. He says, is it the baby? And I said, yeah. I said, she was just, I said, I was up till, I said, I was up till 1 o'clock last night with her. So I was just a little, I was just a little slow this morning. And Eric, our, our wonderful, nurturing, empathetic pastor, Eric, Responded to me, oh, one o'clock, that's not bad, <laughs> right? And then, he, you know, he tells me, he's like, I, you know, I, I, I was up till 3 a.m. every morning with our child. Um, and he brought perspective because any, and anybody in this room whose parents, they know one o'clock in the morning, it's really not, it's really not that bad, right? And in that moment, that perspective, it, it, it reminded me, hey, like, Josiah, you can take a chill pill, right? 1 a.m. is not terrible. It's run the mill. But you know what it also did? It gave me hope because it reminded me if somebody like Eric can survive having a child, surely I can too, right? <laughs> but it keeps us from having a pity party for ourselves, and it gives us hope. And here's a reminder Paul gives them. He says, hey, the sin, the temptation you are facing, it's not something that is completely out there, brand new, something that's like, from God himself, it's, it's, it's nothing uncommon to man. But he does one better. He says this. He says, hey, we should have perspective about sin. We should be humble so we don't fall into temptation. We should have perspective about sin so that we don't throw ourselves pity parties. And so that we're reminded there's hope. But he gives us something better because he says this. We don't have to rely on ourselves in temptation. He says rely on God's faithfulness says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Notice this. He says, God says, hey, don't fall into temptation. And we don't have to rely on our own, own power because God himself empowers us to be able to overcome temptation. God isn't just saying, hey, here's all these things you need to do, and if you don't do them, well, sorry, bud, you're out. Says God says, hey, this is what living in relationship looks like. This is what living in relationship with the God of the universe looks like. So live this way, and oh, by the way, that same God who calls you to live this way is also going to be the God who empowers you to live this way. We can rely on God's faithfulness, church. And so with this, Paul then turns his attention specifically to idolatry, which was a regular practice uh, of the day, especially here in Corinth. And I just want to give us this quick definition for idolatry that I'm going to use this morning. It says that, uh, let's say this, idolatry is any purposes, possessions, or people that we replace God with. Okay, idolatry does not just have to be in the sense of little or big statues. I think sometimes when you think about that, that's typically where our mind goes to. That's why I'm using purposes, possessions, or people. Because idolatry is anything or anyone we place over God in our lives. And he tells the Corinthians, 
you need to flee from idolatry. Look at this in verses 14 and following. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the blood body of Christ? Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Verse 18, consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offering to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. He says, I do not want you to be participants with demons. It says, verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And here's the reality. We're called to flee idolatry first for this reason. We flee idolatry because we belong to Jesus, church. He says, you've been baptized in the name of Jesus. He says, you drink the cup of communion. You break the body, that, the bread that was his body. Just like God provided for the people of Israel manna from heaven, bread from heaven, and water from the rock to show that he was sustaining them, taking care of them. He says, we gather together, we take communion, we take the Lord's Supper to show that we belong to Jesus. We take Communion, we take the Lord's Supper together. It's so important that we do this and we do it in the right way because whenever we do that, we are affirming with God and with one another that we belong to Jesus. That we are one body because of Christ. That we belong to God because we are bought by the blood of Jesus. And he says, you flee idolatry because you belong to Jesus. He says, not only do you flee idolatry because you belong to Jesus, he says, you flee idolatry because we have no share in it. He's already at length here. At length here, he's talked about food offered to idols. He's talked about these false gods of the day that they followed. And, and he says, even though they're fake, even though we know they're not real, even though we know they have no power, we have no share with them. So leave it all alone. And here's what he then does. In the last part of this chapter, in these, or in the last part of these verses, he gives us a reality and he gives us some consequences when we think about idolatry. And here's the reality we need to recognize about idolatry, church. Here's the reality we need to recognize about when we place possessions, purposes, or people in the place of God. Here's what we need to recognize. You cannot serve God and other idols. Like there's a reality that I cannot serve God and I cannot pursue with my life other things. So Paul has called us to give us so many freedoms. He's called us to give us so many rights in pursuit of others. And here, though, Paul is also drawing the line. Just before this in chapter 9, he said to become all things to all people that they might be saved. But he draws the line here with this. Our pursuit of others, church, cannot lead us to being caught up in sin with others. Our pursuit of others cannot lead us to being caught up in the sin with others. In 9.23, just to chapter 4, this Paul says that he becomes all things to all people so that they may also share in the blessing of the gospel. Here in verses 16 and 21, Paul speaks of the cup of blessing we drink, and it's our identification with Christ and his shed blood. 
He says, here is the reality. You can't serve God. You can't and serve other idols because the blessing of the gospel, the blessing of participation with Christ is exclusive to Jesus. God desires and requires total lordship. He will not share the throne of our lives, church. He does not. He says the reality of the matter that you need to recognize is you cannot serve God and serve other idols. We don't get to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I also hold on to all these other things. And there's consequences, he tells us. And we've already been talking about these. There's consequences for falling into idol worship. He says this, there's discipline because God is a jealous God. There's disqualification because God is a jealous God. He is a jealous God for his creation, and rightfully so. Why? Because he created us. Because we belong to him. He says in verse 22, shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This brings us back around to the big idea. Don't be disqualified from the calling that God has for you by replacing God with other purposes, possessions, or people. If in reality, church, there are so many idols that if we're not careful, we will allow to take away our focus and lead to our disqualification from what God has called us to do. I'm not talking about disqualification as necessarily his people, but as the blessings he has for us as we share in the gospel work he has for us. And as we close out, I would, I would offer a few things. Maybe you're kind of sitting here thinking, okay, so, so what does this look like for my life? How does this actually play out in my life? And I'd, and I'd offer you a few observations. I'd offer you four observations this morning as we close out this time. The first one is this. We are all giving our lives and worship to something. At this very moment, you are giving your life and worship to something. There's something you are devoting your life to. You are giving your focus. You, you are finding your value in. What is it, church? Listen, the God of the universe has created you to worship him, to be in relationship with him. And he has made a way for you to have that relationship with him through Jesus. Will God be the one who's found at the center of your life? Who are you are giving your life and worship to? Here's the second thing. God has placed the calling on our lives to know him and make him known. If you are a follower of Jesus, the God of the universe has placed a call on your life to know him and make him known. This whole passage is about knowing God and pursuing others that they may too know him. What is keeping you from living out his calling? Eric has done this for the last three weeks. He's had you consider who is it in your life that God is calling you to share the gospel with. Our lives as Christians, we are called to know him and to make him known. Are you making him known? Number three is this, is there sin in your life? Are there idols in your life right now? Are there purposes, possessions, or people in your life who take priority over your relationship with God? God desires to work in and through you, but if we refuse to deal with these issues, if we refuse to, to, to get them out of our lives, we will disqualify ourselves from what God wants to do in and through us. Are there idols? Is there sin in our lives? 
Number four, and here's the last thing I'll leave you with this morning is this. God desires you. The God of the universe, the one who has created all, he desires you. When we look through this passage, when we look through, if we were to read through those Old Testament passages, I encourage you to take the time this week to do that. If you were to read through those passages, you know you would see, you'd see time and time again God come through for the people of Israel. Time and time again God rescued them because God desired a relationship with them. So much so did he desire that relationship that you know what the Old Testament shows us, you know the people of Israel, the example they show us is this, that we in and of ourselves cannot live in right relationship with God the way we're called to live. We fail time and time again. So you know what the God does? In the New Testament, he steps down into history. Very God himself steps down as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And he comes down to this earth, he lives a perfect life you and I cannot live. He shows us what perfect relationship with a God of the universe looks like that we cannot accomplish in and of ourselves. And you know what he does? He goes and he dies on a cross for punishment of our sins. So that if we recognize him for who he is, recognize our sin for what it is, and when we repent of our sins and when we turn to him to save us, you know what he says? He says, I save you, I make you mine. He says, I give you participation in a relationship with the God of the universe, what through his body given as a sacrifice to, to, for us, his blood poured out to atone us, to make us clean, and because of Jesus, we can have a relationship with the God of the universe who has a purpose and a calling for your life. Church, this God desires you. And he has made a way to have a relationship with with you, and he has called us to walk in that relationship with him. The question is, will you do it? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who loves us. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who, when we have failed you time and time again, you do not turn your back on us. Rather, you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning, maybe they don't have a relationship with you. God, during this time of invitation, would they find the courage? Would they, would they find the obedience to step out in faith and to know you? As we'll have